Well, as Clayton said, I'm Braden. Um, I have gone to First Baptist all my life, and this is my first sermon to people, to a majority of the crowd that can vote, so I'm pretty excited about that. I've talked to the youth a few times, but y'all can vote for our country, so I feel like it's a little bit more important. And of course, for a Sunday night, I've got to have colored pants, because it's just the normal, I mean, it's the pastory thing to do around here. So I've got to get it going. Um, who actually remembers whenever I was little? There's got a wow. There's a lot of hands. A lot more than I thought. I was practicing. I said there. Oh, look, there's a few. No, there's a lot. Well, if you remember that, you remember that I was never small by any means. Um, I came out just chunky, and I mean all babies are pretty chunky because all they do is eat and sleep. But I've been chunky my entire life, and I'm chunky now. But it's okay. But there's a game that kids play, and it's not a chunky kid-friendly game. It's hide-and-seek, and hide-and-seek to a little chunky seven-year-old just isn't a fun game. It's embarrassing whenever you try to hide behind something like this, and you're sticking out both sides. But I remember there was this one time I was playing at my house, and I really, really wanted to win. Like, every part of me wanted to win hide-and-go-seek just once in my life. So I remember I was prowling around my house and I was looking, oh, I can't hide under the bed, that's cliche. I can't hide behind the door because I don't really fit. And then I saw the perfect spot underneath the sink in my Mickey Mouse bathroom. And I was, to a chunky seven-year-old, you didn't think, you know, I probably won't get out of there. But that was the perfect spot. So I I opened the door and I crawled in there. And I I wrapped my arm around the pipes, and I I put my leg behind my back, and, you know, I I closed the door, which didn't really close, and really, like, half of me was hanging out. But to my, in my mind, I fit in there. And I remember hearing whoever was it walk in, and I kind of, you know, everybody that's ever played hide-and-go-seek, if they're close to the guy who's it, they hold their breath. And you look around, and they walk out. And I remember they walked out, and I felt like a champ. Because they did not find me in hide-and-seek. And then eventually they yelled, Hey, I found yada, yada, yada. And that was whenever I was like, All right, now let's get out of this place. And I had to pull... There was a point after like minutes of fumbling over the towels and the cleaning solution under the thing that I just had to yell out, Hey, all right, I'm in here. Can somebody come yank me out of here? I think it was, I think it was my mom or my dad that actually had to get me out from under the sink. And, of course, I mean, my parents know I'm just not that smart, so they, realized, they didn't even ask why I was under there. But it was just kind of a normal thing, and I don't play hide-and-go-seek anymore. I am much too large to play hide-and-go-seek now. I can't fit under a sink anymore. So I don't play that game. But I feel like hide-and-go-seek is a type of game that we play with God a lot. I feel like it's a game that's fun as a kid, but whenever you get into your spiritual life, it's a game that could wreck you potentially for an eternity. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, and then we're also going to be in John, but Genesis is where I want to start. And we're starting in verse 6. And it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve played the first ever game of hide-and-go-seek. They had just eaten of the fruit. They had just, I mean, this was right after the fall of man. And they had just sinned, and they saw themselves with shame. And then they heard God come in. And they knew there was going to be a repercussion. They knew that God wasn't going to be happy with them, so they decided, all right, I'm just going to go hide. And I feel like so many times in our life, that's what we hide from. We potentially try to hide our sins from God. We try to hide from our sins. And we never just step up and, you know, say, you know, here I am. But what I love is right after that, right after the fall of man, it says, and then the, war, the Lord of the God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, but the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Where are you is the first question that God asked in the Bible. Where are you isn't a question posed to Christ, you know, about how we're going to make man. Where are you isn't a question posed to Satan about why he tempted the woman and tempted the man. Where are you is a question directed straight to us. I mean, it's so personal in the fact that it has you in there. And the second that man fell... God started searching. The second that God saw that he was away from us, he wanted to find us again. I mean, it says in Peter, chap, 2 Peter chapter 3 that God does not want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. Man, some of you in this room, God is searching desperately for you tonight. He's searching, he's calling out, where are you? And this question poses so much to like hide and seek because really if someone calls out where are you in hide and seek, a lot of times we don't come up and we say, well, here I am. Where are you is such a personal question, but it's a question that's easy to kind of brush off and not respond to. We're going to flip over to John and we're going to look at part of the ministry of Jesus and how he met with it's a couple people and he tried to throw out that question of, where are you to him? And there's two different responses with, the, you know, with a couple different people. And in John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. They made her stand before the group. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order for the basis of accusing him. Alright, so this is like Christ. Let's say Christ is right there. I'm not going to even attempt to say I'm like I'm Jesus, but that's Christ. And there's a group of people in the temple courts, and he's ready to teach them. And then busting through the doors, there's this lady carried in by the mean Pharisees and some nice papal robes, but it says this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So more than likely, she probably wasn't clothed very well. She's probably indecent, probably dirty, probably didn't smell too good. And they bring her in, they throw her from the darkness of that sin straight into the light where everyone can see her. 
This woman has no meaning to these Pharisees. I mean, it says right here, they were just using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. And they say to him, you know, what do we do here, God? We're supposed to stone this woman. And there's no really right answer for Christ here because he's got basically two options. He can say, you know what, yeah, the, the right thing to do is to stone this woman. But then you start getting into, well, I thought you were loving, Jesus. I thought you were merciful. I thought you were forgiveful. And everything that he worked to build throughout his ministry, it kinda, he kind of loses a lot of that love. And I bet he'd lose a lot of his followers. Or he could say, you know what, no, I love this woman. I think she's forgiven. I don't think... Forget the law of Moses. And then the Pharisees can say, well, if we forget this such law, why not forget all the others? I could murder somebody. I could steal. I could worship another God. Christ here was backed into a corner, and he, there was really no right answer. Like the majority of tests in high school, there was no right answer. And it says, then he bent down to the ground and began to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up, And he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. I have no idea what Christ wrote on the ground. I read some commentaries this week, and some people are like dead set that Christ was writing the sins of the Pharisees. That sounds like a good thing. Some people are dead set that he bent down to pray, basically, to kind of talk to God about, man, what... What should I do here, God? What's the right answer? How do you want me to go with this? He could have been playing tic-tac-toe in the dirt. I have no clue. That's something I'm going to ask God whenever I get there one day. But I don't think that really matters. What matters is the statement that he throws out to the Pharisees. He says, let him who is out sin throw the first stone. He's saying, all right, you're, you're bringing this lady out here and you're throwing her sins into the light. He's saying, all right, let's look at you. Where are you? He's saying, guys, you say that she deserves to be stoned because what she's done, but let's look at your sins and let's say that you deserve to be stoned for what you've done. And then it goes on and it says, at hearing this, those who heard began to walk away one at a time. The older one's going first. Whenever I was a junior in high school, I remember it was a really dark time in my life. I would stay up really late, and like, I couldn't sleep. Insomnia, terrible. And I just think a lot about death. I think a lot about hell. I think it was a bad time. It wasn't fun. But I just remember in that time, I remember God always calling to me. Every sermon it felt like that God was calling, Braden, you need to get saved. Braden, you need to live your life for me. Braden, you need to give your life over to me. I remember my junior year of high school was whenever I responded to the call of ministry. I'd always had this crazy dream of being an architect just because I wanted to build houses. And you know, I felt like architects could build houses and not have to pay for them, like, so I'd have a really cool house. I, I was a junior, and I still didn't really know what I was doing. But that's whenever I gave the call to ministry, and that kind of settled that thing. But for years and years, every invitation would go, Braden, you're not saved. Braden, you need to give your life to Christ. Braden, you're not saved. Braden... You need to give your life to Christ. And it wasn't until my freshman year of college in October, whenever it came to the point 
of, Braden, you're not saved. You need to give your life to Christ. And I've said that, no, I'm good. Over and over and over and over. That point in October is whenever Christ said, all right, you're good. And he had to break me down. I feel like these Pharisees, it says the older ones walk away first. And yeah, they might have realized I have more sins than all the other people here. But if they're anything like me, yeah, they realize the conviction of Christ. They realize, oh, boy, that's that bad feeling in my stomach again. That's that feeling that I'm not in God's will again. I'm just going to brush it off and walk away. I feel like we started with the older because I got so good at pushing down the conviction, pushing down the excuses of, man, Braden, you're saved. Man, you work at the church. Braden, you're a small group leader. You gave your life to ministry. You have been baptized. All these things, and I rationalized the fact that I was never really saved. And I feel like that's what these guys are doing. They rationalized the fact. And he's calling out to you, where are you? You called this woman out of her hiding, but I'm calling you out of your hiding. I want you to stop hiding behind your church life. I want you to stop hiding behind your fact that you've been in the church the entire, your entire life. Hiding behind the fact that you've been baptized or hiding behind the fact that you're a deacon. I want you to step out and say, here I am. I'm ready to finally get this thing started. And it says they walk away, but the rest of that verse is great because it says, and then only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. There's a comma right before, there's on the screen too, there's a comma right before with the woman still standing there. A lot of times in English, commas mean that something important's about to happen. And the woman was still there. There's a huge crowd around her and slowly but surely all these Pharisees leave and just think Jesus was still stooped down right in the dirt so this woman stood there whenever she had every opportunity to walk away the Pharisees had all gone Jesus wasn't even looking at her and she could have just walked off but that woman right there realized that I can walk off and I can hide again I can walk off and I can just go back to that life of sin again. Or I can stay here and say, you know what, Christ, you ask where I am, I'm right here. This woman realized at this point, even though she had everything to lose, she could lose her life. She obviously was probably getting ridiculed by the people in the crowd. She wasn't even clothed well, probably. But she realized that it was worth whatever Christ had to offer her. I feel like so many times we say to God, you know what, God, I know you're calling me to talk to that guy at my, co- at my office. But I'll just brush off. It's not real. I'll get him tomorrow. I'll talk to him about the football game Saturday and say, oh, yeah, then I went to church on Sunday. Or you talk to God about, you know, God, 10% is a lot to tithe. I'll do five. That's good. That's a lot less big of a check. And I'll feel better about it. God's calling us to so many things and so many times we're like the Pharisees and we just brush it off and walk away. But how many times are we like a woman caught in the act of adultery and the fact that we stay here and own up to it? It goes on and it says, 
that Jesus straightened up and he asked the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And he says, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus right out there, it's like he planned it. Where are they? I just called out to these guys, where are you? And man, they went and they hid again. No one's here good to condemn you. That woman that moment realized like the guy of the parable in Matthew 13, that the kingdom of heaven was like a treasure. And the guy found it, and then he hid it again, and he sold everything he had to go buy that field that the treasure was in. I feel like myself at times, I feel like a lot of us in here, we say to God and we try to bargain. I'll sell you my Sundays and my Wednesdays. Every other day belongs to me. I'll sell you every part of me, God, except for my job. I make a lot of money there. It keeps my family happy. It feeds them. It's good. You don't get that. I sell you every part of me except for that relationship that I know is in a bad spot, that I know shouldn't be where it is. But, it, but I feel good to God. This woman here gave up everything, and she realized no matter what people said, it was worth it. I like to play basketball. I'm not good at playing basketball. I take a basketball shot, and I have both hands on it whenever I shoot. It's hard to block me, I'll give you that much, but it, the form's terrible. I don't make many shots. But whenever I wear basketball, I wear this shirt, and it says, haters can't see me. Now, for those who are not pop-cultured, hater is basically what it sounds like, um, people who don't like you. And I assume it's like, at the bottom it says, because the money's in the way. I'm a youth intern, I don't make that much. But, um... I feel like at this point in this woman's life, she slipped on her haters can't see me shirt. Because what God, what Christ says, he says, where are they that condemned you? She says, man, there's no one. There's no one here. And he says, then neither do I. She at that point said, I'm going to slip on my haters can't see me shirt. I'm going to stop running from God. I'm going to stop saying that I'm in the will of God, but I'm really living a life completely different from what He has for me. I'm going to stop saying, man, I'm saved. But then, there's no evidence there. I'm going to stop thinking, man, I can't come to Christ now because I work at a church or all my friends think I'm saved, or I've gone to a lot of church camps, or I'm 65 and I've been in First Baptist for 40 years. Because in the end, this woman, it didn't matter what everybody saw. Because Christ stood up and he said, man, I don't condemn you either. This woman at that time realized that it didn't matter what anybody else thought. Justin says a a great thing a lot, and it's kind of like his little go-to. 
don't know, motto. And it says, Christ loves us so much to meet us where we are, which is exactly what he did for this woman. He, she was caught in the act of adultery. He met her at her lowest of low. The rest of his little motto is, but he loves us so much that he doesn't allow us to stay where we are. And that's what he did for this woman. He said, go and leave your life of sin. He looks out and he tells this woman, get out of there. You really want to live your life for me? Stop living in Ruston whenever I told you to live in Shreveport. You really want to live your life for me? Stop walking by that coworker every day that I tell you to have a conversation with and brushing it off. You want to start living for me? Stop hiding behind the fact that you're in a terrible relationship that is not glorifying me at all and get out of it and move on with your life. I want to start living with me. Stop lying to yourself that you have a relationship with me. Go and leave your life of sin. Because us to be the radical Christian that Christ calls us to be that's the number one thing we've got to do. But if we ever want to go and leave our life for sin, we've got to break it down. The first question that God asks man himself, and that's where are you? We bow our heads. I just want to pose that question tonight. Where are you? Maybe for the first time in your life, you realize that the right answer to that question is, God, you don't know where I am, and I'm not saved. I hope that you stand up and you say, you know what, here I am, I'm tired of hiding. Maybe you realize that you've been out of the will of God for a long time now. That you've run through and hid through the motions of the church just to act like you're good, but... You're rotten on the inside. I pray that you step up and you, you say, here I am, God. Well, God, I just pray that each one of us tonight admits the fact of where we really are with you. We get as real as we can with ourselves and we stop trying to we stop trying to rationalize our decisions. And we're just honest. And Lord God, I pray that every day we ask ourselves that question. I pray that if we haven't ever stepped up and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not a Christian, and here I am, Lord. I pray that we just give our lives to you. I pray that we admit that we're a sinner, that we've fallen short of everything, but there's no other way to get it right than through you. Because, Lord God, because you take that condemnation for us. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I really just, I urge you to answer that question for yourself. And don't rationalize your answer to yourself. And don't try to fix it up so it looks good. But answer the question of where are you? Thank you.